Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Luke chapter 6, verse 42. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the beam out of your own eye before taking the speck out of your brother's eye. Often the flaws and the faults we see in others is what we are blinded to about ourselves. The things that bother you and just grate on you about someone else can be your biggest flaw and you just don't see it. There's other ways of doing that too. I remember years ago, I I was invited uh, by the uh, Presbyterian pastor at the time. I'd become friends with him and he invited me to the Rotary meeting. Rotary was, you know, big deal. And we went to this restaurant and uh, we're eating soup and uh, this poor pastor, uh, older gentleman, just kept splashing his soup on his shirt. I said, poor Henry, he's so busy, so occupied in his mind that he, he's not aware he's spilling soup on his shirt. About that time, I grabbed my napkin and wiped my mouth. And I looked down, it was my tie. Blind spot. But often the the flaws and faults we're seeing in others, that's what we're blinded to in our own lives. Uh, Blame shifting and fault finding is number one in the storybook. Adam was the first to show us how that works. I mean, Adam not only blame shifted, he found fault, he doubled down. I mean, he doubled down. He was like, not only did the woman that you gave me, there's the first blame, you know, he found fault with God, the woman that he provided, and he blamed his woman for his own fault. I think many relationships and friendships end because of our own blindness. We just can't see past what's what's bothering us about that other person, that individual. We just can't see past what they're doing that irritates us or that grates on us, that is magnified and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Trust me. Be married for 49 years. My wife has plenty to be irritated with, but she's found a cure. It's called, she loves me. First Peter chapter four, verse eight, I didn't give you that, but it says, love covers a multitude of faults. 
So we are instructed in that scripture by Peter to love, and he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, love deeply, not surface love, you know, deeply, goes to the heart of the matter. When you love deeply, you go, it's not about me just, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to get over this. I'm not going to look at this. It goes deeper than that. It goes to why, what's going on in me, what am I missing that that irritates me, that that bothers me, that I see that in those people. But we all have blind spots. When you're driving, if you've ever taken driver's ed or read the book, you have blind spots when you're driving. Now, modern cars, my wife's car, has these little lights that come on. They show you that there's somebody in your blind spot. I usually don't see those lights. I took... uh, but not, seeing, not being aware of your blind spots could lead to a, a collision, correct? Now, I took driver's ed three times in high school. In Southern California, driver's ed was mandatory in your 10th, 11th, or 12th year of high school. It was a course you took. And I took it every, every year. Now, I had my license in my first car when I turned 16. I would drive myself to school, but I still took driver's ed. Several reasons. You got out of gym for three weeks, and it was a great way to meet girls and offer them a ride home from school. They'd be like, aren't you in driver's ed? Yeah, but I I could give you a ride home. Anyway, it worked out great. I loved it. Took it all three years of high school. But that's one thing they really drove home is watch for your blind spots. Keep an eye on your blind spots. I mean, defensive driving was huge in Southern California. I don't know if it is here. I've never taken a course since. In fact, I think I'm a good driver until I drive with somebody as, and they're a passenger in my car and they're white knuckling it and they're securing their seat belt, and I'm like, what's wrong with you, you know, or, or a trooper pulls you over, that happened recently, he says, I notice you're not keeping in your lane, and I'm like, that's how I drive. Here's a blind spot about driving that might work for you. Everybody's Here's experienced it, that idiot that's out there on the road, right? They're there. If you run into an idiot between your house and going to the store, they're probably a terrible driver. But if you run into three idiots on your way to the store, it might be you. So be aware of your blind spot. Pastor Vic couple weeks ago, preached an excellent message called uh, Silent Killer. It was a killer message. It was on pride. Pride can lead to collisions in life. 
Pride is a huge blind spot. Not the kind of pride you feel about your children's accomplishments or, you know, about some performance that you did, but the kind of pride that eliminates God's love and our need for Him. The kind of pride that denies us of seeing His goodness and His glory. And I was here uh, Friday night for the worship. Wow. It was just off the charts. I have paid a lot of money to go to concerts in my life. The music was good. Should I go into that, a little rabbit trail you folks want to know? I mean, I did grow up in the 60s and 70s. Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Santana, before anybody knew who they were. You know, good stuff. This was better. For one reason, I didn't feel like I needed a shower after I left. I felt like I'd been getting a shower of the glory of God. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And if you uh, haven't yet figured out how to put that in your calendar for Friday night, start doing that. Um, anyway, he's preached a great message about the silent killer, uh, pride. And again, I think pride, what it blinds us to is the arrogance you don't need God. You don't need his goodness. You don't need his glory. Uh, there's a story about the Navy and a battleship. And now, the Navy denies this ever happened, but uh, Matt, being in the Air Force, probably would believe the Navy's up to anything. It's... But uh, this Navy captain, uh, captain of a naval destroyer, Pretty foggy day, so they're only seeing it on radar. They see an object up ahead, and they radio out to it, and they say, uh, we su this is the captain of the USS Abraham Lincoln. We strongly ask you to move 15 degrees to the south, divert 15 degrees to the south. And they get a response back saying, it's a Canadian. They said, no, we suggest you move 15 degrees south. Captain comes back. He says, I want you to know I'm the captain of the USS Abraham Lincoln. This is a destroyer. I have two other accompanying ships, uh, ships accompanying me, and we demand that you move 15 degrees to the south, divert to the south. This guy comes back. He says, well, there's just two of us here, But we strongly suggest you divert 15 degrees to the south because we're a lighthouse. So pride in the wrong thing can create peril for you. Um, have a testimony of a different sort. Years ago, we had a a well that needed to be, the pump to be full. And back in those days, most of the pipe was galvanized steel pipe. And this fella had a, a, a well pump puller, which would pull up large amounts of uh, heavy metal pipe. 
And uh, this was back in the days when we were young Christians. We lived in a communal situation, and he came, and he's pulling the pump. And, of course, you're surrounded with 15 people just watching you work because that's what you do uh, when you live in a commune. You watch the people that do work. And uh, so we're witnessing to him. We're telling him about Jesus. And I'll never forget this. He looked right at us and said, I don't need Jesus. I have the newest truck, and I have the best equipment for pulling pumps. I've got all I need. Like, wow. Well, within about two months, the same guy had broken down on his way to Palmer. His truck broke down, and he ended up having to walk to this house to use a phone. Didn't have cell phones back then. Walked to this house to use a phone. Well, it's two ladies that are a part of our group, part of our church, and they're watching some religious program. So he's stuck in their house waiting for a ride, listening to this TV speaker, and then two ladies that were evangelists, basically, telling him about the love of Jesus. And he said, I do not need Jesus. And he said the same thing. I have everything I need. Within another month, he was pulling pipe, and he got it too hot and hit a high-powered um, line and electrocuted himself. Now, that's a sad story, but the point is pride blinds us to our own need, to our own frailties. Um, the other part of that testimony is I believe God was giving him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because God is good and always compelling us to come to him and receive his goodness and his love. But I got a couple questions this morning about being blinded, blind spots. Can a church, as a congregation and as an organization, have a blind spot? Absolutely. And I'm not just talking about, well, I mean, one of the first things that come to my mind is, well, yeah, there's cults, you know, there's uh, religious cults. But I'm talking about how about a good, solidly, doctrinally, theologically sound church? You still have a blind spot. The Corinthian church had a blind spot, big time. Their blind spot was they put position the importance of position over the importance of people. They put um, the value of being recognized and recognition and self-importance over humility. That's why I love the motto our pastor has been speaking to us so much, servant-hearted and kingdom-minded. hope I got that right. I've only heard it a hundred times. <laughs> I had to think about it this morning when I wrote it down. Did I get that right? Servant-hearted and kingdom-minded because it's so easy to get blind to what you're doing. You lose sight of what's happening right in front of you. I think that was why Jesus was so effectual. He didn't lose sight of what was his surroundings and what was going on around him because he never got so busy with the things of God that he missed what God was really doing. Churches do that all the time. We get so busy with doing the things for God, 
we actually miss what God wants to do. I'll give you another example of that, just in case you're not convinced that churches can have blind spots. Not our church, of course. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 14, we see, uh, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea wrote, write this, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, cold, nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white robes to clothe you, and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So we see the church in Laodicea had a big, huge blind spot. They had allowed their uh, prosperity to not feel the need for God. But in reality, and we're going to get into a few of these before closing, what we can do with our blind spots how they affect us, and what we can do to correct them. They were blind to their need. Have need of nothing. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, 17 through 19, Let's read that. Here we see Habakkuk writing at the end of his book. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, he goes on to say, Yet, I will rejoice, exalt, be glad in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now, here's a situation. These are pretty bleak circumstances. We see in the writings of the book, Habakkuk, uh, the book of Habakkuk that there's a long litany of failures, a long litany of troubles ahead. And instead of saying to himself, Oh, man, we're in dire straits, but we're going to get through it. We're going to make it somehow, somehow. It's like his eyes all of a sudden saw something altogether different. It's like he went from this thing of complete what the, what the natural eyes saw, something opened up in his spiritual eyes, the blind spot was removed, and he went into this whole different uh, paradigm where he says, 
like the blind man that suddenly sees a complete reversal. The outcome sounds as bad as it can get. There's no crops. There's no flocks. There's no food. There's nothing. There's no future. We're going to die out here in the desert. Remember my grandson when we went to uh, Houston a few years ago. We were walking him home from his school. It got pretty hot. It's a short walk, but it got pretty hot. He starts dragging. He says, Grandpa, we're going to die out here. Things were looking pretty bleak, but all of a sudden his response to those circumstances were, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And it turned it around to where instead of feeling like we're going to endure through this, he had a lightness of being. And he says, and my feet will be like the feet of a deer going over the mountain." That's a change. And it was such a good change, we're reading about it today. Matthew 6, verse 22, it says, When the eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. What happened to Habakkuk right there? I want to say Habakkuk, but I've listened to it three times now. How to pronounce it. So I'll get it back. Uh, wrong, and I'll go back and forth all the time. But anyway, what happened to him was the eye, the way of seeing, suddenly was healthy. What does it mean to have a healthy eye and to be uh, full of light? I started out talking about Adam and how he blamed God and Eve for his trouble. Now, this is an interesting thing. It talks about the eye right there. He partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up until that time, he only knew of the tree of life. He'd only partaken of that. He knew of this tree. God said, don't eat of that tree. But he decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and life, and it said right there, and his eyes were opened. Open to what? Open to shame, open to nakedness, open to, you know, everything, open to saying, I, I'm afraid of God now. I'm going to close him out of my life. So there is a false light, because that scripture goes on to say, but when that light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? A healthy eye sees the light of God's glory. There's a glory to be seen. And it's just not times of, of Friday night worship. There was a lot of glory being shown Friday night. Man, I was basking in it. It was just wonderful. Um, but... Um, the light of God's glory in what we were reading about Habakkuk was he saw it in the face of his troubles. He saw it in the face of all the trial that's happening. 
He's not just speaking about the future, though the fig tree does not blossom. He's looking at circumstances in life, and he's going, hey, this is happening. This is real time. This is now, and I've got nothing to eat. That's an unhealthy eye. A healthy eye then opens up and says, yet I know my Redeemer lives. That's what Job said. I know my Redeemer lives. I want to talk about a few blind spots that we can be blinded to. I want to talk about money trouble. 80% of uh, marriage counselors say that 100% of most arguments in a marriage, and in a relationship, is around finances. The others that don't agree with that just argue over percentages. But money and finances is a huge thing in our life. Our life consists around it. Our time, we sell our time. I give hours of my time to earn money so that I can do things, have a house, live, eat, shelter. But a lot of times we're like, Money falls short. We're in a time in our nation right now where they're talking about inflation, inflation, inflation. Go down and fill your tank up with gas, and you're like, whoa, you know, we're going to have to make cutbacks. We're going to have to do this. All of that is wisdom. But the, the reality of all of that, when you're looking at, can I afford to give to God any longer? Can I afford to give in this? Can I afford to reach out to the needy? Can I afford to support one of those missionaries that uh, Bob our, our uh, missions director, Bob, has been talking to us about, can, can I afford $25 a month? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The reason is because God is our provider, and his provision shall be seen, and he's going to give you more than you need. Proverbs 10:22 says, he gives you the ability to prosper. And he adds to it no sorrow. I love that scripture. It's one of my all-time favorites. We don't, we're not going to lose out. We're not going to, by striving after the, the dollar, we're not going to lose our relationships, our marriages, our children, our friends, you know. Striving after that dollar because I've got to make it. It's going to be different. No. The Bible goes on to say, and here's, here's what you're doing. You're going to start using that scripture. Man, finances are tight. Doesn't matter. Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. His provision shall be seen. And he gives me the power to get wealthy and adds to it no sorrow. Deuteronomy 30, verse 9, whatever I put my hand to, it will prosper. If I do these things preceding it, there's... there's there's a qualifica- uh, qualifier there. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. I want you to read it. Proverbs 16, 3. God will direct your path, and you will prosper in your ways. Everything you put your hand to will prosper. Now, what does that mean? So here we are. We're walking along. We're like Habakkuk. I'm just going to go with my way of saying it. Habakkuk. And uh, 
and we're looking at our finances. We're going, oh, man, it's going to be a tight month. Or, thank you, God, I have more than enough. I'm not going to be foolish. I'm not going to be presumptive, and I'm not going to be lazy. So when I have time, let's say I don't have work right now, I'm going to invest in something else. I'm going to invest in prayer. I'm going to invest in the Word. I'm going to invest in speaking truth. And I'm going to invest in my brothers and sisters by just simply going out of myself and reaching out to them in some way. How are you doing today? God put me on your heart today. I'm going to invest in my marriage instead of coming home and trouble at home. Man, we're both feeling the pressure. Of, like We're sick of that chicken soup. This is the best chicken soup I've eaten five days in a row. Seriously, folks, if it gets to that, take a day off and fast. But I'm going to invest my time wisely because whatever I put my hand to, it will prosper. Well, God, I, I don't have an extra job right now, I can't, or I don't have overtime, or I'm, this is where I'm at. Well, I'm going to spend it with you, God, and pray because you say everything I do will create an economy in my life that I can't see right now with my natural eye. When I'm feeling insecure and I'm needing security, Lord, look at the world's conditions. Look at the captain of that naval ship. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. When your confidence is shaken and you're looking for security, and Psalm verse 40. Just read it. I'm not going to give you an easy answer on it right now. Just when you need it, Psalm 40, go there. Disappointment. Disappointment's a huge one in everybody's life. You know, we're disappointed in the outcome. We sang that song this morning, God Never Fails. And You know, there's always this little thing in the back of my mind that goes, yeah, but remember that one time? Remember when this happened? And I had disappointment in my life. Well, instead of dwelling on my disappointment, he says, he will turn my mourning into dancing. He says that a merry heart will do better than a medicine. A joyful heart is works better. So I have to practice. You have to practice these principles, folks. You have to put them into action. Without putting them into action, you're just left with blind spots. I'm not feeling very loved right now. Just not feeling it. 
don't know where God's at in my life right now. I don't know where you're at. Just don't feel a lot of love coming towards me right now. But I know this, no matter how I feel, his steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We don't need to always feel the praise of people. We don't always need to know he didn't smile at me today. They didn't do this. They didn't say, I didn't. Pastor said he, he texts people when he feels like it. He, he must not feel that towards me. Well, you know what? That's your chance to say, ah, but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And now I have the power and the ability to, instead of waiting for someone to reach me, I got it to give to them. And that cures a blind spot. Amen? Let's all stand up. We want to get rid of our blind spots. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.